The first reading this morning is from the book of Jonah. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, 
in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, the two readings that we have before us today, one being from the book of Jonah and the other being from the gospel, according to Matthew, they share some similarities and they have some significant differences all at the same time. The first that's a pretty obvious similarity is that they don't, both take place around water. Jonah, at the time of Jonah chapter 2, is in the belly of a great fish. He had already uh, been on a boat and there was a huge storm. And the other sailors tossed him overboard, and he was in the belly of a great fish at this point in Jonah chapter 2. The apostles, on the other hand, were in a fishing boat trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. So both took place around water. And uh, Jonah, on the one hand, was a prophet who had apparently known well the voice of the Lord, and yet at the same time was being disobedient, and then you've got the apostles who were doing something that was kind of running the mill, and they had listened to the voice of the Lord. And so you've got significant differences. And so there's similarities and differences to these two stories. But in both cases, you've got Jonah and you've got the apostles who both both knew the Lord. Jonah called at the very beginning of his book, quote, a prophet of the Lord. He knew the Lord's voice. So when the Lord called him, he wasn't surprised, he wasn't shocked, he wasn't blown away. He recognized the Lord's voice. What's, what's interesting about prophets, by and large, is prophets seem to always know the Lord's voice. And what you always assume about prophets when you hear the word prophet is at least a prophet of the Lord is they're being used by the Lord. They are his mouthpiece. So not only do they know the Lord, they're going to speak his word to the people. But what's interesting about the prophet Jonah, unlike all the other prophets that you have in the Old Testament that are true prophets of the Lord who recognize and hear his voices, Jonah has no desire, no interest in following the word of the Lord, and he goes the opposite direction. He's unique in that. He, he knows the voice of the Lord, hears the voice of the Lord, referred to as a prophet of the Lord, probably used by the Lord before, but has no desire to do this particular task. What's the task? The task is to go to the capital Nineveh, of the people of Assyria, who are notorious for being awful, wicked, a conquering, war, warlike people that have been attacking Israel. And when they capture the people of Israel, what they do is they take them away in chains. Not in handcuffs, not in ankle cuffs, but chains that as they're taking them away, they have hooks on them that they hook into the skin when they take you away. Okay, so this is not a nice people. 
And so when the Lord says, I want you to go to Nineveh, I want you to preach to them, because if they don't repent, judgment is going to come on them. And Jonah basically says, I don't want them to repent. I want you to judge them, so I'm going in the opposite direction. So that's the story. And that's how, because he was disobedient to the Lord, the Lord still wants him to preach, he ends up in the belly of a great fish. And when the fish spits him out onto the land, Jonah says, oh, okay, I'll go preach to them. So that's the scene there. The apostles, on the other hand, also knew the voice of the Lord, Jesus. Completely different scenario, though. They're not going out to do some great ministry. They're not being asked to go speak on behalf of the Lord or do something miraculous. He simply says to them at the beginning of the story, go into the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. Do something that at least four of them had done many times before. Something that was mundane. Something that was routine. Something they had done all their lives. We know Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. This was home turf. This was something they do all the time. It would be like me telling you, if you drive a car, drive to the north end of the island, 278. Of course, that might be a little more dangerous than what they were doing. It's not a big deal. Or maybe go on a longer trip, drive to Columbia. South Carolina, Clemson, something. Point being, something you do all the time. And he sends them. In both cases, what you have is a scene where the Lord is sending. In both cases, you have people who knew the Lord and knew that the Lord is, quote unquote, the Lord of land and sea. We see that in Scripture Over and over again, Psalm 66, Psalm 95, part of our worship. The sea is his and he made it, and his hands have formed the dry land. We say that in worship. It's from Psalm 95. Jonah, in chapter 1, when the sailors are calling upon their God, They say, who is your God? And he says, my God is the God that made the world and the seas. Everything. And so they trusted him. That's what they say. He is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the sea. So the Lord sends them, in a sense. And they trusted the Lord, both of them. You know, setting the scene a little more with the apostles, just so you really understand what their experience with Jesus had been up to this point. They had heard Jesus preach. They had seen him 
perform miracles. They'd heard him teach. They'd seen him heal. They actually had been sent out by Jesus before actually to do ministry. Matthew chapter 10, several chapters before. They had performed miracles in his name. So they had seen the power of God because he had sent them in his name with his power. Right before the reading we have before us, if you know what happened last week and been paying paying close attention to the scripture or at least know this chapter, he had fed the 5,000. That's what just happened. He fed the 5,000. And so Jesus was going to dismiss the crowd, and he said, you know what, why don't you go across the lake, I'll meet you over there, I'm going to dismiss this crowd, and then I'm going to go on the mountain and pray. That's the scene. So they knew that he has the power over creation. They knew they could trust him. And he had just sent them. And they were doing something basic. Jonah, on the other hand, had been disobedient to the Lord. Now, what do you think about a prophet who is telling people to repent because they were being disobedient to the Lord? If he was being disobedient to the Lord, what do you think he might expect? That something bad might happen? So he shouldn't really be surprised that he's in a little bit of trouble. So there's a little bit of difference going on here. And what's the first response of the apostles? What's our first response? You're doing something... Let's leave Jonah for a second. You're doing something that is just routine and mundane. Because that's what the apostles are doing. They're just crossing the Sea of Galilee, something they do all the time, and something goes wrong. What's your first response when you're doing something simple and mundane and something goes wrong? Why me? If you're driving up 278 or you're driving to Columbia or to Clemson, and you get a flat tire or your car breaks down, what is your first response? No big deal. I can handle this. Or is it, I can't believe this happened to me. Meredith and I are leaving for vacation this afternoon after church. I guarantee you, If something goes wrong with the car, with a seven-hour drive ahead of us, I'm not going to say, no big deal. That will not be my response. A couple of weeks ago, I was looking at the bushes in my yard, and we've got a couple of things coming up in the next few weeks. The bishop's coming the weekend after we get back from vacation, and then we got family coming in October. And I'm looking at the bushes in my yard, and I thought, you know, while we're gone, 
I might have Rick McDevitt get a group of his guys from Ocean Woods come over and just trim my bushes up a little bit. So I call Rick up since he's a member of our church. He's one of my golfing buddies, and he, you know, is one of the owners of Ocean Woods to just give me a bid on the bushes. So he comes over and he says, "Greg, you can do this." I said, "I know. I usually do, but I'm getting ready to leave town. I've got a really busy couple of weeks coming up." And he says, "Yeah, I'll give you one of my power hedge trimmers." He says, it'll take you 15, 20 minutes to trim your azaleas. No big deal. When he drops off this thing, it's like an eight-foot pole. You know, it's got the gas-powered thing. And, and the blade itself is like this long. Okay? What I discovered later is you can actually move the blade. You can make it like this. And, you know, you can move it all over the place. So he was right. I, I trimmed all my azaleas in in 15, 20 minutes out front. Well, when you have a power hedge trimmer and you've got lots of bushes, you don't stop. So I started trimming more bushes. After about 45 or 50 minutes, my arms were really tired. So I shook my arms and rubbed my arms, and I went back at it again. Another 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, I shook my arms and rubbed my arms. Three hours later, I could no longer lift it. When we sat down to dinner that night, I could barely lift my fork. I'm not exaggerating. You could ask Meredith. The next morning, I got up. My arms hurt from the shoulders down. My left bicep, I thought, was like, I thought, really, I'd torn my muscle. And so, came into staff meeting. We usually do prayer requests. I asked for prayer for my arms. (laughs) And uh, so, normally, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go and work out at lunchtime. So, I'm driving over to the gym, and I'm thinking... What am I thinking? I can't even move my arms. Why am I thinking of working out? So I called my doctor. And and I've got his his cell phone number. So I called my doctor, and I described what I did. He said, Greg, get over here right now. So I went over to my doctor, and he he felt my arm, and he kind of looked at it, and he said, I think you came really close to rupturing this tendon right here. So he said, I'm going to send you to a therapist, like, immediately. So he made an appointment for the therapist um, the next day, and he said, don't do any exercises, Greg. I said, probably a good idea. So I went to the therapist the next day. The therapist was actually hilarious, and the next day they're already starting to feel a little better. She was hilarious. She said, I think you made this muscle really angry. <laughs> but, but she said, you didn't really do any permanent damage. So she worked on it. Um, and she told me what exercises to do, and she told me to use this tension. The long and the short of it is, by the end of the week, my arms were pretty functional again, and that's the last time I went to the therapist because I started doing small workout. The long and the short of it is, nothing bad happened. That's the good news. My first reaction was, I can't believe doing something simple that this happened. 
And then my mind started racing ahead. What if I really did permanent damage and I can't use a computer because I have to have surgery? And I can't do the rest of the yard work that I need to do before I leave town. And the worst thing, I can't play golf. And this whole time, what's behind all that is, why me? Why did this happen? And Lord, you know I'm going on vacation. You know, our minds quickly run to the worst case scenario. And a little bit of underneath that is, We're questioning God. See, I'm not the type that I get angry with God or I question whether he's there. I'm just questioning him a little bit like, why did did this happen? Why did you allow this? Maybe why did you allow me to be so stupid? Anyway. That's what the apostles did. They're on their boats. They're trying to do it by themselves. And they can't make headway by themselves. And so they see something out on the water and their minds immediately go to the worst case scenario. It's a ghost. Think about it. When had they ever seen a ghost before? I don't think so. But why did their minds rush to that? Why did my mind rush to that I ruptured my arm? When you break down on the side of the road, why do you think you're going to be there forever? Why is it our minds always rush to the worst place? Like God doesn't have this? You know, think about it maybe in a different direction. Why didn't their minds go to, it's an angel? Because I guarantee you they had heard angel stories. That an angel appeared to Mary. That angels showed up at Jesus' birth. I guaranteed you they had heard that one. Why didn't they think about, maybe it's an angel. It's a ghost that they'd never seen. Why do we do that? Why is it the worst case scenario? Because underneath that is we doubt God. And our minds run to fear. You know what's fascinating? The apostles who had just seen Jesus feed the 5,000, who they themselves had been used by the Lord in miraculous ways, rushed to fear. Jonah... The disobedient one, what does he do? He asks for forgiveness. He prays. And he's rescued. Isn't that interesting? Why? 
because he knew something that he had done wrong. He repented and he trusted the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? He didn't want the Lord to intervene in a certain way. But he trusted the Lord even in the midst of his disobedience because he repented. He trusted the Lord. What a difference. But Jesus went to the heart of the matter with the apostles. What did he say? It is I... Do not fear. The heart of the matter is fear takes over. Because we try to do it on our own, first and foremost, or because we go to the worst place in our minds, fear takes over. And Jesus is right there. Jesus is right there. But when we're trying to do it on our own, or when we're dominated by fear, the worst case scenario, fear takes over. And what's really, really amazing is it doesn't take long for us to forget. It only took a few hours for them to forget about the feeding of the 5,000. And it only took a few minutes for Peter to then forget again. He says, Lord, if it's really you, let me step out onto the water. And he steps out. And he's walking on the water. That would be fun. Then what happens? He takes his eyes off of the Lord. He focuses on the wind and the waves. What happened? Fear takes over. It's amazing what happens when we allow that fear to creep in. When we think it's all about us and we have to do it. And we forget that he's there. Sometimes he's the one that initiates and he calls out to us. Sometimes we initiate. Like in Jonah's case, he called out to the Lord. But what we have to trust in both cases, he's there. And he's got us. Ultimately, he's got us. Oftentimes, our first reaction is to try to do it on our our own. Just like Jonah tried to run away and do it on his own. Or the apostles, they tried to row across on their own and they didn't call out to the Lord. Sometimes we get into the why me stuff. 
Or why did God allow this? Or how could I be so stupid? See, that's my big one. I do that a lot. You know, Meredith does this constant reminder, Greg, you're not 20 anymore. You're 60 now. But see, I just keep forgetting that because I have this propensity to do something stupid. And then I, how could I be so stupid? Why did I do that? But I have to remember, he's there. And he's got me. It is I. Do not be afraid. John writes in his epistle. In chapter 4. Verse 10. God is love. And in verse 18. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And last week, what did we talk about? Nothing, for those who believe and trust in Him, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. No one. Because we're His. Not our own sin. Jonah called out to the Lord and he was rescued. Our own sin can't separate us once we're his. We have the opportunity to repent. No one else can separate us. No challenge, no disaster, nothing can separate us. From the love of God in Christ Jesus. And all things work together for good. All things. You have challenges in your life, God can work it for good. You have pain in your life, God can work it for good. Because ultimately, we are His. And He's there. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose, He will work it out. He's here right now. No matter what your struggle is, your challenge, your pain, Whatever stupid thing you did recently, whatever sinful thing you did recently, there's nothing he can't handle or forgive. All you need to do is trust in his love because he's there and he's reaching out his hand. Just like he did for Peter when Peter was sinking.
And he says to us every day, It is I. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord God, I've done sinful and stupid things in the past, and you've always been there. And I know you will be in the future. And Lord, I've had challenges in the past, and you've been there, and I know you will be in the future. Because I'm yours. Because your love never fails. Lord, help us to trust you regardless of the circumstances. To not allow fear to creep in and take over. Our imaginations to run wild. But rather to know that you're always there. To trust in your love and to hear those words every day it is I take heart do not be afraid that all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us to know that truth, to trust in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.